take a couple places tonight. Hopefully this will seem When I've been chewing on this stop for a while, um, we're continuing our series on contemporary issues. I'll probably uh, take a break from it um, here soon and uh, unpack some more topics later on. Um, it's definitely something we can just probably deal with every Sunday night for the near foreseeable future, a lot of contemporary issues. By the way, the Bible speaks to a lot of the things we deal with in society. It's amazing these churches that try to go to such great lengths to try to make the Bible relevant. Do you have any idea how relevant the Bible is, <laughs> you know, and how it so speaks to issues? And uh, the problem is we're trying to uh, squeeze the Bible into our culture, and that's what we talk about, about relevance, when the reality is we need to take, regardless of what our culture is doing, we need to take God at his word, go to that, and allow that to change us. And uh, I'm going to talk about that just a little bit tonight, but uh, go to uh, uh, 1 Samuel uh, 16, if you would. And I want to pose this question tonight. Does God only care about the heart? Does God only care about the heart? Now, we hear that all the time, you know, one of the great... uh, uh, statements made by modern Christianity today is, don't judge me, God knows my heart, right? Uh, or, uh, or even um, lost people that try to think they know something about religion <laughs> or about God. Well, God knows my heart. You know, only God can judge me. It's like, you have no idea how serious that statement is. Yes, only God can judge you, and that is a very severe, uh, uh, a weighty statement. But in, uh, in 1 Samuel 16, we, it's very, we, we know the passage. Samuel, of course, was told to go to anoint David as king. He goes through all the brothers, all of Jesse's sons, and, uh, and God says, nope, nope, nope. Uh, but remember, the first one, uh, he was confident that this is the guy, right? The first brother, this is the guy. Surely it's, he's before me. Let, me. let me find that verse. Um, uh, verse, number, uh, verse number 6. 1 Samuel verse, uh, 16, verse number 6. It says, and it came to pass when they were come, that's the brothers, the, the sons of Jesse, um, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, here's, a, here's an instance of somebody speaking on God's behalf before you heard from God. All right? We need to be careful, by the way, that we don't get ahead of God. Uh, sometimes we, we get so, oh, surely, all, all, you know, this is God's will. All, all the stars are in alignment, right? Everything, everything just seems perfect. This is definitely God's will. How many of you ever convinced yourself of something that was God's will that turned out not to be? You were just certain. Everything just seems perfect. It's too good to not be God's will, right? That's where Samuel is right now. He sees Eliab, and he says, this is perfect. This is it. And, uh, and he speaks too soon, all right? By the way, how would you like to be Eliab here? And he's like, yes, he picked me. He picked me. Just to say, oh, just kidding. <laughs> what? And, uh, so, so, so here's what he says. Verse 7, you know the story. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, right? That's, that's the way he appears. Or on the height of his stature. That's, that's, uh, he, had, uh, uh, he was taller than the others. That, that's what, by the way, King Saul. That's the, that's the currently ruling king that God has rejected. One of the things about King Saul was that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, he looked like a leader. Right, uh, he looked like somebody that people would follow. So Eliab is kind of following that same description. He just looks like he could be a king, right? Uh, you ever come across somebody you're like, man, they just carry themselves so well. They're just the you know just you know, and it's just the way that they they walk and their countenance and their their stature. They're just that's a leader. You know, you come across somebody else who's kind of like this. 
You're like, that guy's not in charge of anything, right? <laughs> and, uh, but some people just have that confidence about them, that, that boldness. Uh, Eliab probably had a lot of those characteristics. But notice what he says. Don't look on these external things, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. Okay? Now, if the context here is that God rejected Eliab, and he looks upon the heart, then here's the question. Why did God reject Eliab? Because his heart was bad, or was not what God was looking for. And, uh, and this is where we have that God had picked for himself a man after his heart. There's a heart issue here. What's interesting is this phrase shows up a few times in Scripture. Remember in Luke 16, Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees derided Jesus, is the word the Bible uses, derided him. And uh, he was coming down on them. It says the Pharisees also who were covetous derided him. And they were, they were, they were coming down on Jesus. And Jesus really starts, starts uh, really cutting into them. This is right before the passage about hell, the, the rich man and the beggar. And, uh, and, the, and the rich man went to hell and the beggar went to, uh, went to Abraham's bosom there. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and he says, Jesus starts talking about those Pharisees. And he says, he says you guys are they which justify yourselves before men. By the way, we can make ourselves look pretty good before men. But here's what Jesus said to them. He said, but God knoweth your hearts. He says, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination before God. That's some powerful statements. What's interesting about these two passages is whenever you see this concept about God knowing your heart, it's always in the negative. Their hearts were abominable before God, the Pharisees. Eliab's heart was a heart that was rejected by God to be king. Jeremiah reminds us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, does God want our hearts to be good? Sure. Is God concerned about our hearts? We have concepts in the Bible like a labor of love. He wants us to serve Him from the heart. He wants us to have a renewed heart. David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. That, that, that should be the heart's desire of all of us. That is what God is looking for. He wants us to follow from the heart. Remember, uh, remember the, 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 the believers in the regions of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 8. Paul is talking to the Corinthians about these believers in Macedonia and how they, they had a deep poverty and abundance of affliction and all this stuff, and yet they gave liberally and they gave sacrificially. And he, and he says, and it should be no surprise because they first gave of their own selves. See, that's what God wants, ourselves. So there's no argument that God looks on the heart and that God is desirous of the heart. Um, but I want to challenge us with this thought. We are here in this world. We are here to make a difference. We are here to serve God. And man does not know our heart. Folks, you don't know my heart. You don't know my agenda. You don't know my angle, where I'm coming from. What do you have? You have the outward appearance. And man, look upon the outward appearance, and we are here to impact man for God. So I want to ask this question, does God only care about the heart, or does God care about the, the outside also? And so I'm hoping to answer that question tonight using the scripture, and, uh, and I hope it will be helpful. Let's pray and ask God's help this evening. Father, I thank you for our time together tonight. 
I pray, Lord, that uh, everything that is said and done would truly be glorifying to you, that you'd stir us, that you'd help us. And, uh, and, and with this, Lord, uh, as you put us here to be ambassadors for you, I think about that concept of being an ambassador, how we ought to represent you and represent you well. And Lord, I pray that we would do just that tonight. Uh, and, uh, and from here on out, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're to represent the king, the king of kings. And, you know, I think about diplomats. I think about uh, uh, these people. Um, many of them have a dress code. I don't know if you guys follow politics much, but um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Fetterman. How many of you are familiar with Fetterman? Okay. Um, uh, just when uh, you thought that, uh, well, I don't, I'll be nice. Um, but have you noticed his, his attire that he tends to wear? All right. Uh, looks like he's lounging around the house. He'll wear shorts and a hoodie. And he's a senator? Is he a congressman or a senator? I think he's a senator. So, and, uh, and, you know, they're saying, well, you know, he had a stroke, and they're kind of, you know, give, you know um, uh, catering to him. But, uh, but, but you look at that, you say, that's not a guy who's there to represent the people. I remember walking around the streets of, uh, of D.C., and I wore a suit everywhere I went because this is our nation's capital. There are things going on here. Now, I know, I know a lot of people like, kind of scoff at that argument, like, you know, if you went to the White House, you wouldn't go in, you know, holes in your jeans and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, uh, you know I, I know what we're saying, but, you know, it's really interesting when we start talking about how a Christian ought to dress and how a Christian ought to look. You know, when we say things like this, we, uh, uh, many times someone will say, well, you know, uh, God loves me no matter how we dress. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. Did you know God loves you no matter how you act also? And yet we have no problem saying, well, God wants us to act a certain way. God wants us to behave a certain way. The issue is not what uh, God's love is. Uh, uh, he loves you more or less based on how you behave or how you dress. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you aiming to please him? Are you, uh, are you representing him well? And that's really, that's really the question we ought to look at. And, and uh, you know, the Bible speaks a little bit about this. I think about uh, in, in Mark chapter 5. If you want to let's jump over to Mark 5. I may kind of bounce around a little bit, then I'll give you some principles here at the end. Um, in Mark 5, if you're familiar with the story, Jesus, he goes, uh, he goes over to the area of, uh, of, uh, of Gadara. We, we, we call this portion the, the maniac Gadara. Jesus has this encounter with this man. This guy, he was demon-possessed. Uh, we can definitely say he had a rough life before he met Christ. Uh, he was an outcast in society. People wouldn't, wouldn't talk to him. They tried to bind him. They couldn't bind him with fetters. He had this supernatural strength. He would just break him loose, and he dwelt among the tombs. He couldn't sleep day and night. He would, he would cry out at nighttime in the tombs, being so tormented with a legion of demons. Jesus comes and has an encounter with him. They fall on his face before, before, uh, before Jesus, and he says, you know, have mercy on me, uh, son of David. And, uh, and the demons start speaking out. He says, what do, what do we have to do with thee? Has thou come to torment us before the time? And Jesus cast out the demons. And they, they came out of that man. And the Bible says this in uh, Mark 5. Look at verse number uh, 15. Uh, this is when they, you know, Jesus cast them into the swine. In verse number 15. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. It had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
Would you say that Jesus changed this man? I would say so. Interestingly, he's sitting. You know what that is? That's a restful posture. That's someone who is at peace. Before he was not sitting. Before he was flailing. Before he was running around uh, in the tombs, not find, finding no rest. Now he can rest. The peace that Jesus brings. Uh, that, that's an internal thing. But then, then it says this. He was sitting. And then the last thing that it said was he was in his right mind. He had clarity. He was sober now. Sober-minded. He had clarity of thought. Uh, Jesus had, had changed him to where, where his mind was no longer under the influence of, uh, of this demonic oppression and possession, but, but rather he could think clearly and he could make decisions and he could, he could choose to follow and honor God. Uh, it changed his mind. It changed the way he thought by the renewing of your mind. We'll go to that verse in just a second. But then it says that he was clothed. Prior, he was naked. By the way, Whenever there's demonic activity, mark it down, you're going to find nakedness. You're going to find immodesty, and you're going to find uh, a lot of those things going on when the devil gets his hands on things. He loves to pervert God's creation. And, uh, and uh, what we find here is a man that is completely different. He's different on the inside, but it showed up on the outside. It showed up so much so that the people saw such a drastic change that they were afraid. And they told Jesus, why don't you just get out of here? Why don't you just get out of here? Now, he messed with their livelihood because they're, the swine all ran off the cliff into the, into the sea, but they shouldn't have been herding swine anyway because they were Jews. There's a whole, whole other topic we can go into there. But that's interesting. Jesus had this encounter with this guy, and it changed him. A demon-possessed man came out different. By the way, can I tell you, when God deals with a person, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. It's a very strange thing when someone is completely given over to, uh, to drugs and to, uh, to a demonic type of culture for them to have an encounter with Jesus. I'm going to use that term. To have an encounter with Jesus and then to stay in that culture. Stay in that lifestyle that so destroyed them. Stay in the lifestyle that so brought them into such bondage and to say, you know what? It's okay for me to still be here. These are, quote, unquote, my people. When someone gets saved and they have nothing to do with God's people, when someone gets saved, they have nothing to do with Christians. By the way, this is becoming more and more popular these days. Christians in their suits, Christians in their, you know, their, 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 their uh, uh, you know, stuffy shirts, their, 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 their uptight kind of, you know, they would never accept someone like me. And let me just say, as a church, folks, we need to be accepted. We need to be loving. I think about the pit from which I was, I was pulled from when Jesus saved me. And I think about where I came from. I've shared with you a little bit of, of my past and, and the scars that still remain because of decisions I've made in my past and how those ought to remind me of, uh, uh, of where I was and where these other folks are to love them where they are and to bring them along and say, hey, listen, God has a better plan for you. God has a direction for you. He, yes, he saves you, but he doesn't want you to just save you to keep you just in the message you're in, but he wants you to be a new creature. He wants you to be victorious in your Christian life. He wants you to honor him. He wants you to serve him. You say, what are you even talking about? I'm thinking right now of, uh, of uh, the guitar player from the band called Korn. I've mentioned him before. He got saved years ago, and it, and it seemed like it changed his life because he quit the band. He was strung out on drugs. He was about to lose his wife. His marriage uh, was falling apart, and uh, he just could not get a hold of things. He has an encounter with Jesus. He writes a book about it, and, uh, and things seem good. 
But you know what you don't find with this guy? You really don't find a change. You find him staying in the same thing that brought the mess. You still find him putting on eyeliner and braided long hair. And what I'm saying, you look at the guy, you're like, okay, there's some words that are coming out that are different, but you're still in this lifestyle. He later on rejoined the band, and here's what he said, talking about the hard rock culture and those people, the culture of, of, of darkness and sex and drugs and rock and roll and all the things that go with it. He said, these are my people. You know what? Jesus hung out with publicans, but he did not become a criminal. Jesus hung out with prostitutes, but he was not a customer. I know that's a little vulgar, but folks, that's kind of the mentality we've, we've adopted today. Well, you can have Jesus and still live your life. And that's really, that's really what's behind a lot of this concept. Don't, don't put standards on me. Don't tell me how I ought to be. Or ever. You know what that is? That's pride. That's saying it's my life. No, no, you are to be dead. You are to be a living sacrifice. We'll get to that passage in a minute. When we think about God being concerned with what we wear, the Bible mentions a few things in Scripture. In fact, in the... Um, in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus, speaking about John the Baptist, in, uh, in Matthew 11, verse 7 through 9, he says, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yeah, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. While clothing really is not the central context of that passage, Jesus, he's drawing a clear distinction between uh, the clothing of this godly man out in the wilderness who was kind of weird, right? John the Baptist was definitely different and comparing him to, 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 to the pagan environment of a king's house. In those days in the first century, uh, the kings were known for immorality. And, uh, and uh, the upper class, they were known for, uh, for a soft lifestyle. They didn't work hard. And, and, uh, and in the Roman Empire in those days, they had, uh, uh, I want to be careful not to get too graphic and stuff, but they had uh, uh, bathhouses where the men would go and they'd bathe together. Uh, they, would, uh, they would engage in all kinds of uh, uh, prostitution and all that kind of stuff was very much the norm. And when it refers to this soft raiment or soft clothing, it's talking about clothing of uncertain affinity or effeminate clothing. The kings and those in the comfortable lifestyle and those in the, 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 the fashion of the day, they dressed in effeminate clothing. And so when he talks about this soft clothing, he says, here's, here's the comparison. You know, you went out to the wilderness, what did you think you were going to see? Um, a king in his effeminate clothing? No, it was a, more than a prophet who was here, who was, who was among us. It was different what was going on there. Proverbs uh, 7, verse number 10 um, uh, says this. talks about the attire or clothing of an harlot. It's very specific that there is a type of dress that gives a message that you're for sale. That's kind of interesting. An attire of a harlot. It didn't say a person in the profession of a harlot, but there was an attire of a harlot. This identifies with a lifestyle. So put in application, in plain English, godly men should not dress like effeminate men, and godly ladies should not dress like harlots. 
God cares about these things. Would, would you agree to that? If, if someone sees someone who's dressed like a harlot, like think about what that might mean today, and then they hear that you're a Christian, what message would that give to somebody? Because man only looks on the outward appearance. That's all they have to go off of. We talk about our stewardship for the Lord. We talk about our, our being ambassadors for Him. We need to think about these kinds of things. <clears throat> so I want to th- uh, consider this. Look over, let me show you one more passage, then I'll, I'll just bring a couple principles. By the way, many principles we look at through Scripture apply to many different areas of life. And it's funny how sometimes it's more uh, palatable in certain areas of life, but then there are areas we don't want to let go of, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that principle doesn't carry over there. If it's a principle from Scripture, it should fit into every area. And, um, and you know, sometimes it's almost like, oh, I don't allow God to, I, want, I don't want to let God to invade that area of my life, or this area of my life. No, no. God should be allowed to have invade every area of your life. You need know, I remind you, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. We are not our own. And we should look to the scriptures with this attitude. Lord, I am your servant. Uh, I'm going to take you to a philosophy that they had in the first century. And I want to I show you that this philosophy hasn't, it's morphed, but it hasn't changed. Look at Romans 12, if you would. You all know this verse, but I want you to see it. Romans 12. Appreciate you turning there. In fact, while you're turning there, I mentioned that the one guy um, in, uh, in corn. There's another guy. I've referenced this guy before, but, uh, but I want you to see a picture of him. Uh, Jaden, if you've got that on the screen there. Here's a guy. <clears throat> this guy goes by the name Richie the Barber. Now, I will say this. Most of those tattoos he got before he was saved, as well as the piercings before he, quote-unquote, got saved. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram and all those kinds of things, and he does these little short videos, and he has people uh, follow him and whatnot, and he's just, he really is on fire. He wants to point people to Jesus. I give him that. I, I do give him that. He, I don't think he knows the gospel. I saw one of his videos trying to invite people to Jesus, and the, the gospel is not in there at all. But what's interesting about this character is since he's been saved, he's increased his number of piercings and increased his tattoos, and, uh, in fact, he got a little cross there on his forehead. That was after he got saved. And so that's, I guess, he's, he's marked now for the Lord. Now, what's interesting is this, is the comments on his videos. Uh, now, again, I love the guy's spirit, honestly. He, he, is, he is excited about God. He's inviting people to Jesus. Uh, uh, he's a part of the deliverance movement. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the kind of charismatic movement. I, I mean, that doesn't surprise you. Yeah. But what's interesting about this character yeah, well, or it was interesting is the comments. Because so I was looking at some of these comments, and I literally saw somebody say, say, this is wonderful. God only looks on the heart. And I thought, does God, it was an interesting statement. God only looks on the heart. You know, and this guy's heart, you know, he's on fire for the Lord. Meanwhile, he's increasing his piercings. So, now listen, when someone gets saved, you can't fix all this. But you know when you get saved... You don't have to keep adding to it. And you don't have to keep all those piercings in. And you don't have to wear this, this, this neck collar. Oh, but he's got Jesus on his shirt, so that, that changes it. He's a, he's a real Christian because he can wear a shirt. 
And, and he's, he is a baby Christian. I'm going to give you that. But you know what? This guy is getting such a platform. Pastors have him come and speak in their churches. This guy cusses on his, uh, on his podcast in the same sentence of talking about Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is. Now, I know that's one guy, and that's a very extreme example. If anyone may be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've made a lot of mistakes in my past before I got saved. And you know what I've done? I've renounced them. I don't amplify them and say, well, this is who I am. Some of you know I have tattoos. I keep them covered because I want to be a good testament for the Lord. We'll talk about tattoos on another night. But here's this guy, and he's, he's getting more. And he's, and he's adding to these things. And he's saying, look, I can, in fact, he, he opens every podcast or every statement with a filthy, filthy euphemism that no believer should even come close to saying. Oh, but it's okay, because God knows my heart. And it's all about love, and it's all about Jesus, and it's all about... Folks, if we're not careful, we're getting dangerously close to whatever I do glorifies God versus whatever I do should be to the glory of God. One word changes the whole thing. Does God care about the outside? Look at Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your souls a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Is that what it says? Oh, I'm sorry, I messed it up. I, uh, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your whole self a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. By the way, that's, how, that's actually how some versions render that, your whole self. Now, that's not wrong, and that's actually how I preach this verse. But you know the word there that Paul uses is the word for your physical flesh, your body? What vehicle does God give us to obey him? Our body. What vehicle does God give us to, to honor him? How about this? What vehicle does God give us to serve others? Body. Now, the inside is what drives the body, just like an engine drives a car. But the body is the vehicle. Now, let's go back to the first century. There were two schools of thought. There was two ways of thinking that were both wrong. And Paul deals with them in, uh, in, Cor in Corinthians a little bit. He spends a couple chapters on it, actually, on how we use our bodies to honor God. So the one school of thought is this. Uh, well, I mean, is, is, it was one root thought that basically had two applications to it. And, and the thought was this, that the body is evil. The body is inherently evil. And so because of that, you have on one side, uh, because the body is evil, there's no redeemable thing about the body. It's only the spirit. It's only the inside. I can therefore do whatever I want outwardly because the body doesn't matter. On the other side, the other extreme was, because the body is, is evil and all that matters is the spirit, I, I will not engage in anything with this body. I will just lock this body up, and I'm not going to do anything, and I'm going to kind of uh, just sort of you know, keep it uh, uh, to this point where I'm not going to use it for anything. And God, and God says, both are wrong. You can't just sit and be a hermit, and you can't just you know, go off and live, um, you know, turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and do whatever it is you want. And what's interesting about that is it says that, the, 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 that God wants you to present your body 
holy and acceptable unto God. That means when God gives a command or when God leads you uh, in a direction, you use your body to do it. Sometimes, by the way, the understanding comes later. You obey first, and sometimes understanding comes later. Now, it's not to say you just, you know, always blindly follow, but sometimes there's a measure of blindly following and understanding will come later. Just like my children at a certain age, they obey because I said so. As they grow up and they learn a little bit, I, I explain a little more and I help them with their understanding a little more. The Lord does that with us too. Sometimes it doesn't quite make sense. When we talk about the external, when we talk about these kinds of things, you know, usually when somebody just gets saved, I don't even talk about this stuff. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit just sort of starts working in people's lives. I remember when we were in California, there was a lady and her family started coming to church, and one by one, they all started getting saved. And, and um, I, I believe she was saved, but then uh, had uh, kind of uh, uh, rededicated or repented of some things and turned to the Lord. And uh, it's funny, she had, a, um, she had a piercing in her face. And I never said anything about it, I never talked about it or anything. Then all of a sudden, one day, it just disappeared. It wasn't there. I don't know, I think I even asked her about it. Uh, we've had other guys, you know, guys with long, flowing hair, and all, the hair's just gone one day. Never preached on it, never talked about it. It's just gone. Um, it's amazing how God starts to deal with things, but these are all external things. And you know what, I've decided to follow Jesus, and there's certain things that are just not, you know, you might not be able to point to it and put your finger on it and say, well, this is, this is inherently sinful, or this is evil, this is wicked. But can I tell you, there's so many things that we've adopted that, are, that, that they're just pagan. Where did that come from? It's pagan. And you know what we have done in Christianity with our music, with our entertainment-driven, with the allowances that we've brought into the Christian life? We are just like Israel of old that practiced Baal worship. They all thought they were following God. They thought they were worshiping God, and God said, no, 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 that's Baalism, not, 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 not following me. We'll talk about that uh, probably in uh, the weeks to come. Baalism is a very tricky thing that Israel fell into. It didn't start off with them overtly just chasing after other gods. It was distorting their own view of God and adopting character traits of the gods around them and bringing them into the umbrella of what we would call today under the umbrella of Christianity. Well, I can worship God with these pagan practices. And that's what God kept sending Israel into captivity for over and over again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, your physical body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. Holy means separate. Separate from what? Separate from the world. Separate unto God. I've reserved it. I am to be pure as I present this body. I'm to keep this body clean before God. Holy, acceptable unto God. Is this an acceptable sacrifice? You know, the Bible talks about acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices in the Bible. Is this body, the way I'm presenting it, acceptable unto God? Which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the vehicle that drives the body. It's the renewing of the mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So a couple principles I just want to bring out and then we'll be done. A couple. This is going to be like ten. To please the Lord Jesus and honor Him above all. Is that not the goal for us in everything? In fact, that's one of our core values in our church, in our church constitution. To please the Lord Jesus and honor Him above all. That's why we exist. So should not our outward appearance honor Him? 
or does it deter? You know, so many of our dress decisions are entirely based on pleasing self or pleasing others. When you get dressed, ask this question, who am I getting dressed for? The Bible talks about putting on the armor of God. That's, uh, uh, I kind of look at that as uh, spiritually getting dressed in the morning. Put on your spiritual clothes, then you can put on your physical clothes. In, um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, says, Wherefore, uh, or, or whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you do something as simple as eating and drinking. When was the last time you sat down to lunch and you said, you know what? I'm going to eat this meal to the glory of God. Have you been intentional about it? I'm not saying your meal was sinful. But think about it. If the little things like eating and drinking God wants us to glorify him with, what about the bigger things? Like my life. Every decision you make, including what you put on in the morning, should be based first and foremost upon this criteria. Does this please God? Secondly, we dress to submit to biblical principles of modesty. This is more of an issue, uh, or this is more and more of an issue with, uh, um, uh, it really, it really, this is a fun, fun topic to get into. Many times have been more oriented towards women because men are driven by sight. You ever notice when the Bible says it's good for man not to touch a woman? In many instances, women are more, more impacted by something like, like touch or affection in that regard. Men are very much visual creatures. And, uh, and, uh, and, and this, is, this is an important aspect. Now, is, does modesty only deal with visual? Anybody know what the word modesty means? not how we typically use it, but it simply means it's not something that's not drawing attention to you, not drawing attention to yourself. In the Bible, it talks about the pleating of the hair and, and the gold and those kinds of things. And in those days, that, maybe that was the big deal. That was the big alluring thing. And, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, what Paul was instructing is, look, don't be the big, the big flashy, the one drawing all the attention to yourself as a lady. Today, because we've become so, so sexualized and so full of flesh in our culture, a big part of this modesty, which draws attention. By the way, can I say, when there's an immodestly dressed woman, it draws attention to both men and women. I'm not saying necessarily an attention of, ooh, I want that. It just draws your attention. Skin does that. Flesh does that. And, uh, and, and, and uh, you add to that just the natural biology of a man they're going to look without even thinking. Which is, I, I tell a young man, I said, it's not the first look that gets you. It's the second look. It's the continued look. You, once, once you've read, because sometimes you look before it even registers what happened. And what I'm saying is, as godly ladies, as Christian ladies, we should, we should be considering those things. You see, what the world will say is, oh, you know, that's cute. Be careful. And many times, ladies, you don't realize what it is. You look at an outfit, you say, oh, this is cute. And in your mind, maybe you're, you're thinking, you know, clearly and, and everything, you're not, you're not aiming to go and be a stumbling block. You're not aiming to go and, and look a certain way. You just think, oh, this is cute. What I'm saying is be careful. And, and I think it would be very wise to bring men in your life into the situation uh, to help you with that. I'm talking about husbands and fathers. Um, in 1 Timothy uh, 2, 9, teaches, In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. In fact, let me, let me read the rest of the verse here in, uh, in 1 Timothy uh, 2, 9. 
In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or a costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with works. Again, using their bodies for something, for something uh, other than draw attention to, but, but with works to do something. Let the women, uh, um, uh, actually, there's another passage I want to take us to. Uh, Peter speaks about it. Um, Let's see, I think I've got it here. In uh, in First Peter three, and in verse number, um, I'll just go ahead and read uh, chapter three so we can kind of get the context. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. By the way, it's your own husbands, not someone else's husband. That if any obey not in word, they also may without the word. Be one, but uh, by the conversation of the wives. So, so if you have a lost husband, you might win them by your lifestyle. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in, uh, in that which it uh, is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, uh, the holy women who... Uh, also, who trusted in God, get this now, the, the holy women of old time who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. I don't preach on this topic much. I know I've said this, you know, I, I did not that long ago, but this will be the last time I talk about it. But here's really the issue. It is not my place to start getting into specifics with the ladies of this church. It's not my job. I will teach the principles. I will teach what the Bible says. This is where husbands and fathers need to man up and lead their families. I was just a few guys in here, but, but that's the challenge. And wives and daughters, you need to let your husbands and fathers have that permission in your life. Honey, how do you want me to dress? Is this okay? Does this seem modest? You need to allow that. That's how that's, you, you dress in subjection to your husband. Thirdly, why do we dress uh, to please the Lord? Uh, or how? Uh, to submit to the biblical principle of appropriateness and to identify with godliness. Philippians 4.3 teaches, Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The definition for moderation is appropriateness. That, that you dress appropriately. While young men might not have to grapple as much with the modesty issue, they should still be taught appropriateness in various situations. See, you may be modest, but you might be sloppy. You, you may be, you know, when I was growing up, the thing was, you know, the, uh, the, the, the lower your pants hung, the cooler you were. <laughs> or, uh, or the bigger. I remember in the 90s, it was, all, it was almost like, you know, if you, if, you grew, if you went and stole your grandfather's jeans, you know, and if you jumped out of plane, you'd be fine because, you know, the wind would catch all of that and you'd just land, you know. We called those parachute pants, okay, um, <laughs> because they were parachutes. But, uh, uh, you know, it was sloppy. It was messy. And today, today it's really big with the holes in the jeans. And by the way, if you're going to pay that price for, for jeans, get a pair that's not already worn. <laughs> I'm going to pay extra because they put holes in it. Okay, anyways. Um, appropriateness. 
uh, you know, it seems uh, in the day, the day and age we live in, again, it's like, uh, you know, wearing, wearing the same clothes that you'd wear to a ball game is, is, you know, is what we wear to church, to the house of God, to honor the Lord. Now, I want to be careful with this because does, you know, again, the, the question we asked in the beginning, does God love you any more or less because of how you dress? No. It doesn't change the way, but, but, but it says something about what you think about the circumstance that you're in, the setting that you're in. And let me just say this. Every one of you think about what you're going to be doing during the day before you put clothes on in the morning. Is that true? You think about appropriateness for what you're going to be doing. We all do. You know, for me, you know, some of my job takes me outside, so I think to myself, okay, do I need to bring extra layers? Do I need to bring boots? I think about those things. What is the day going to bring? In fact, living in Alaska, it'd be wise that we always have some extra attire in the vehicle. We don't know what might happen, right? We think about these things, but you think about appropriateness. What am I showing? There have been studies that have been done about in private schools where, where uh, the, the difference between schools that let the kids dress however they want versus the ones that had uh, uniforms. And, uh, and uh, in these studies, they showed that those that were required to wear, you know, or tie, the boys wore ties or, or even just dress up a little bit, took their studies more seriously. And by the way, they weren't distracted by all the fashion stuff and all the things that the, the kids tend to squabble over. Kind of interesting. There's something psychological that took place with how they dress. You ever heard this phrase? Dress for success. Dress for success. What does that mean? I remember one time I went into a place, uh, I was looking for a job. And I think I overdressed for the place because I will, it was a window washing job and, it, and the pay was pretty decent. And, and I went in, I said, I want to wash your windows. And, uh, and the guy said, they said, no, you don't look like a window washer. He says, I, I, need, I need you to be a salesman. And I said, I'm not a salesman. <laughs> he said, I need you to be a salesman. And you know what? I failed at that. But I was overdressed for the position, you see. Uh, but um, anyways, that's, that kind of undermines the point of my message right now. So I'm going to scratch that from the record. Um, but we want to submit to the biblical principle of appropriateness. What's appropriate? When I was, uh, we were in California, my aunt passed away. She had uh, brain cancer. And um, we went to her church uh, for the funeral. She went to a mega church. Uh, the pastor at the time was a, was a name probably many of you would even know. He was a big name pastor. And uh, we went to this church and it was a Sunday after they had finished, I think, like for their five services, and they was going to have a quick funeral in the afternoon. And, uh, and we show up in a big foyer area, and uh, people are kind of coming and going, and you think you're at a mall. People are just dressed very casual and, you know, shorts and flip-flops and those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, you know, and again, like I said, that in itself of itself is not necessarily, you know, a red flag or bad or anything. And the pastor comes out in his flip-flops and, and his holy jeans, and he's kind of visiting with some folks after the service. He slips away for a minute. And goes and puts on a suit and comes back out. And over the next 15 minutes, we start to slowly see the whole place kind of transform from like a mall scene to like a church. I mean, people are dressed nice and they're, you know, they, they went and changed and all this. It's kind of funny. You go to a church service and then you change to get ready for a funeral. To me, I'm thinking I could probably wear what I'm wearing to church and go right to a funeral, you know. Um, so the pastor comes out, and somebody says to him, they said, uh, said, boy, pastor, I've never seen you in a suit. He says, yeah, it's a rare occasion. And, and uh, there was a man there that our family knew, a friend of the family, and I, uh, I knew his son growing up, and he, he'd been out of church. He's been backslidden for, for quite a while. And, and, and he leaned over to me, and he said this. Again, he's been out of church. 
He said, it seems like these people have more respect for a dead loved one than for God. That was his observation. A man who's probably not saved, if he is saved, backslidden, out of church, away from God. That was his observation. And I looked around and I thought, I wonder how many lost people are here who got the same message. Man looks on the outward appearance. Does the way you carry yourself say something about God? Or at least about your view for God? Now, folks, I'm not talking about this. This is a tough balance in the day we live in because instantly people are taken back and they'll say, well, you're just being judgmental. You're being like a Pharisee because the Pharisee's dressed up. Listen, would you go to a wedding wearing rags? I mean, even in the Bible days, you're going to put on what you had that was decent, it was appropriate to honor the couple. Uh, in fact, even, uh, even the ladies in a wedding, it's not a, you're not in competition with the bride. All the attention should be on the bride, right? I mean, can you imagine if someone else showed up in a really beautiful white wedding dress at someone else's wedding? Like, what are you trying to do here? Are you, is there a competition? It's about the bride. Why should a spiritual environment seem as less significant than a secular environment. How many of you watch sports? Any sports people here? I don't think we have many sports. We've got a couple here. All right, you ever watch commentaries on like uh, sports, uh, ESPN or Sports Center or anything like that? What are the guys usually wearing, uh, given the commentary? Like nice suits, like expensive suits, right? I always find that very fascinating. These are people of the world. Many of them are former pro ball players. What do the managers wear on the field? Like the, like the coaches. And I, well, I'm probably not the coach. Uh, I think about whenever I go to like an Ice Dogs game. What's the team manager wearing on the Ice Dogs games? He's wearing a suit and tie for a hockey game. A hockey game that sometimes is hard to discern if it's a hockey or is it a boxing match. <laughs> He's wearing a suit and tie. And then all of a sudden we're legalistic because we wear a suit and tie at a church. Do you see, do you see the, kind of the confusion here? Next, i got to go on. Why do we dress? To promote an environment of purity and spiritual growth. Why, why does what we wear matter? Why does it matter to provo- promote an environment of purity and spiritual growth? You know, sadly, young people today are more sexually educated, sexually tempted, sexually active than they've ever been in American history. In our homes and our churches, we should be committed to maintaining a pure and godly atmosphere meaning dress should be modest and appropriate. It should honor the Lord and reflect a high view of Him. The way we dress absolutely contributes to the environment of a group or family setting, and these environments should be godly and Christ-honoring. Some of these points, I got uh, I've compiled some things together as, uh, as we're going through these. You know, additionally, many people draw their identity from clothing. If I were to, I remember I did this once for our youth group when I was a, when I was a youth pastor. I... Uh, I put on different uh, images of different singers that are not big name. And I asked them, I said, I want you to tell me the genre of the music just by looking at these musicians. And we started going through the list. And, and, and they nailed it, 10 for 10. They're like, oh, that guy's hip-hop. Oh, that guy's hard rock. That guy's country. That guy's... It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That the, these subcultures in America are reflected by how they dress. 
And in many cases, you can't separate what's going on. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of atmosphere are we showing? Are we saying we want to be of the world? We're copying the world. We're trying to be like the world. Folks, all that is is inviting this, this world's ungodliness into the church, saying, well, we're being relevant. I'm not saying, ladies, you've got to dress like Quakers. I'm not saying we've got to go back to all that. You can be fashionable and modest. In fact, in fact I'll, I'll tell you from a guy's perspective, a modestly dressed woman is so much more attractive it's so much more attractive, and I don't feel dirty being around her. It's tough sometimes. I've had to minister to, 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 to ladies that weren't dressed well, and, and my wife's in the room with me, and you know, and I'm, I'm you know, my, my, my mind's my mind's on good things. I'm just uncomfortable with the situation, honestly. Well, you need to get your head out of the gutter. No, it's not in the gutter. I remember my. Um, uh, my sister, before she got saved, she had a modesty issue. And as a brother, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> See, it's not, it's not, I don't want you guys to understand something, you know. Uh, and, and by the way, guys have to guard their hearts and guard their eyes and guard their thoughts. Yes, that is true. But don't make it that much harder for them as a sister in Christ. There are truly two sides of this equation, and I'm so sick of them putting it all on one side of the equation. Well, I should dress with the attire of a harlot, and a Christian young man should be okay with it. He just needs to control his thoughts. No, shame on you for putting a stumbling block in front of a brother in Christ. Shame on us for allowing this kind of stuff in our churches. We had to promote an environment of purity. Romans 13, 14 says, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 14, 19, Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace, and things which, uh, wherewith one may edify another. Does the way you dress edify your brother or sister? Think about this scenario to the environment principle. If, if, uh, if your child needed open-heart surgery... And the surgeon showed up for the surgery, smelling like sunscreen, wearing flip-flops and cut-off shorts and a tank top and a ball cap and sunglasses. Would you deem him appropriate or unfit for surgery? I'm sorry to interrupt you from your beach day. Uh, go do that and come back another day. <laughs> about to deal with very sensitive surgery. And let me just say how, how much more valuable are these young hearts and appropriateness for what's allowed in their life. Um, how safe and pure is the environment that we create in our home and we create in our church? Is your church, is your home, is a place for spiritual growth where, where that's highly valued? Is it a place where uh, uh, sensuality reigns in the name of grace? I'm under liberty. I'm afraid we've devalued our spiritual environments to the point that churches more thought of to be fun. We dress trendy, and there's dancing and celebration, and there's all these things going on. And what ends up happening is we kill the chance for real transformation because of distractions. That's really what these things are. They're distractions. Another reason we dress, to honor the convictions or preferences of others. If you've been here very long, you realize that there are different cultures in this world around us. Some of you have traveled overseas, and one of the things you do, you realize, you learn quickly, what, what's the custom, what are the customs here? 
many Asian homes, if you go into the homes, you just do not wear shoes inside. You don't go into someone's house and you say, oh, I've got liberty, and if I want to wear shoes in your house, I'm going to wear shoes in your house. Well, it's not your house. That's their house. You know, it's amazing kind of how we, we try to put things on. I remember uh, in the early days of the Iraq war, and when I whenever they started coming down on us, they said, guys, when you're flying around the helicopters, don't dangle your feet out the, out the door. That is very insulting to the, to the people in the Middle East. The bottom of the foot, when you show the bottom of your foot, it is insulting. It's saying that you're under, they're underneath you. And so you got these soldiers hang, dangling their feet out of the helicopters. They're just being insulted, and they're just getting more angry about us being there. And what did we do? We accommodated. We said, okay, we don't want to make this matter worse than it is. So we, we, we changed our policy. We said, guys, no hanging the feet out the door. The Bible says in, uh, about, by the way, it's very important, you know, what, what could be wrong with simply preferring other people? Their, their preferences and their things that, you know, with the, to, to honor them or, to, you know, what could possibly dishonor them. But especially when one's a spiritual authority like a parent or, or a pastor or a teacher. We're commanded to honor those who have rule over us, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves to them for they watch for your souls. Secondly, we're commanded to prefer one another in love, Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. There are certain things that people allow in their life, uh, and that, quite frankly, are offensive or bothersome to other believers. And when you become aware of that, we need to be sensitive to that. Paul took it so far. Paul spent three chapters in 1 Corinthians dealing with that very issue. And Paul took it so far, he said, I will not collect a paycheck so you don't, get, you don't stumble. I will not eat meat so you don't stumble. These are all things that he had the, the right to do. Paul said, I have authority as the apostle of Christ to get a paycheck from the church. He says, but I don't want it to be an offense to you. I don't want it to be a stumbling block to you guys. So I worked a job. That's what he said to the church there. And he said, and, he said, uh, and uh, I will not eat meat. In fact, in fact, I will not eat meat as long as I live, if that means it keeps a, a brother or an unbeliever from stumbling. He dealt with that, those kinds of things. I mean, talk about a commitment. We would say, well, I've got liberty in Christ. I can eat these meats. Okay. Anybody golf? Does a golf course have a dress standard? My wife and I have been able to go on a, a couple cruises now, and uh, that's my new go-to vacation. I'll tell you what, a cruise is the way to go. But you know there's some restaurants on the cruise ship, they won't let you go in if you're dressed like you're dressed at the pool. You can't just go in wearing that. Well, I've got liberty in Christ. I'm going to eat here in my bathing suit. <laughs> no, you dress appropriately for the occasion there. And you go in there. For young people, the question of dress is as simple as, what do my parents want me to wear? The attitude that says, uh, I'll wear what I want no matter what anybody says, is not only rebellious, but it's purely selfish and childish. You guys get that? This mindset is selfish, not selfless. We are to be a living sacrifice, present our bodies a living sacrifice. Why will we honor employers, restaurants, golf courses, but we won't honor the Lord or the environments that represent Him? Just some thoughts to think about. Next, 
Why do we dress the way we dress? Because we want to give an account to the Lord with joy. This point is really big, especially for those who are in leadership, parents or Sunday school teachers, spiritual leaders. We really have to stand before God to answer for the environment that we allow as leaders. What environment are we given for them, these young hearts, these young minds? We'll answer to God for what we allow, what we teach, uh, even inadvertently. May God give us courage to dress uh, with our dress choices, not based on the shifting trends of the culture, but principles uh, of accountability to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And the next, to promote spiritual maturity. To promote spiritual maturity, we, we want to dress a certain way. When leaders promote a wear-whatever-I-want mentality, they foster a self-centered mindset. It's all about you, and it's all about, you know, uh, don't let anybody else, you know, you, you make your own decisions, you are your own person, all that. You know, as believers, we are not our own people. We are allowing so much of the world's philosophy to creep in. No, no, we are servants of Christ. We are to submit ourselves to Him, to His Word, to the principles of the Word of God. God has given things a certain way. By the way, how are the world philosophies helping the structure of our homes these days? How are the world's philosophies helping, uh, you know, they're, they're tearing everything apart is what they're doing. Next, uh, we dress the way we dress to exemplify a distinct lifestyle that is not conformed to the world. Simply put, the attitude that says I can wear what I want, when I want, and nobody can tell me different is not a spiritual life, it's a carnal life. This is not a conformed life, uh, or it, it says a, uh, this life is conformed, not transformed. Ephesians 5.8, for you are sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I think about some of these guys I referenced. Are they, do they look like children of light? No, they look like children of darkness still. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you improve what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A distinct lifestyle, uh, uh, separate from the world, not conformed to this world. I still believe that God intends for us to walk out of step with this world. Uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, it's really interesting. God gave the children of Israel some commands, and some of them you can make sense to, right? I can see the, the, the logic behind not eating pork. You say, oh, I can't see it. <laughs> pork is a very unclean animal. There's a lot of disease, a lot of things like that attached to it. It makes sense that God said, don't do that. It makes sense that God said, hey, make sure you thoroughly wash after touching a dead body. We understand germs today. Those things make sense. But how about this one? Don't mix and match fabrics with your clothing. The only sense I can make of that is this. God wanted his people to be identifiably distinct. Is he going to kill them? Is it unsafe to wear mixed match fabrics? I don't think so. Is it going to cause a disease? I don't think so. The only thing I can point to is it was a distinct thing. Where people saw those were God's people. There's something different. I may be wrong on that, but that's what I think. By the way, why do we care what the Lord thinks more? The world thinks more than what the Lord thinks. God instructs us in Galatians that even as we are in Christ, we are also to put on Christ. Uh, next. Uh, we, are, we dress the way we dress to protect the thoughts and innocence of others. No parent would want young men lusting after their daughter. No parents would want their sons tempted by the dress of another. Unfortunately, during the teen years, our sons will most likely see, by accident, more inappropriate clothing than their grandfathers could have looked for in a lifetime. It's just the society, the world we live in, and for this reason, a Christian environment should be a spiritually safe environment. 
We shouldn't have to be worried about those. We should be able to tune in and zero in on, on the spiritual things and the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2, 22, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Uh, them that call upon the Lord have a pure heart. Proverbs 4, 23 tells us to keep thy heart, guard it with all diligence, for ever are the issues of life. Next, reason why we dress the way we dress, to be a clear witness of the gospel. You ever been in a situation where you really weren't doing what you ought to be doing as a believer, and then something spiritual comes up? And you think, well, I can't open my mouth now. Maybe you're at work and some dirty jokes were flying and you just sort of hung around. And then all of a sudden something spiritual comes up. You're like, Derek was asked about fasting. What if you were in a situation at the time uh, when you really shouldn't have been? And, well, now what do I say? What about the way we dress? Is it going to cause some question? Is it going to cause some, some things to... to uh, questions to come up. God commands us to be a peculiar people. Second Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. This principle touches so much of our lives. The question is this: In what ways are you different from the world around you? In what ways do you stand in contrast, uh, radiating godliness? There's been a couple of times where I've done taken uh, teenagers to uh, to some uh, um, teen events, uh, especially when we were in California. We took them to to youth conferences and things, and got to go uh, to Six Flags and, and uh, some other places. And it was amazing seeing a whole bunch of teenagers dressed modestly, and a whole bunch of teenagers acting godly. In an environment like that, people start stepping back, and they're watching. They're like, this is different. I've never seen such a lot. In fact, uh, we took a whole bunch of teenagers down to a Bearing Precious Seed a couple years ago, and, uh, and the young people were so well-behaved. And it blew people away. They're like, we've had sports teams come through this hotel. And they just trash the place. They're like, all your people have been, all your, your kids have been so respectful. And they clean up their messes. It blew them away. They could not believe it. And, and uh, uh, what, what a difference Christians are. By the way, sadly, there are those that bear the name Christ that many times that isn't the case. They're, they're a little trash the place just like a lost sports team. I remember one time I went to, um, Ah, we're out of time, but I uh, uh, went to a um, Dodgers game with the Bible college I was going to. And at the same game, there was another Christian college uh, uh, nearby at the same game. And you could tell the, the starch contrast between the way the ladies dressed and between the way the people behaved. This, this people from this other Christian college, they're up there, a whole row of the men, ripped off their shirts and had painted across their chest, Go Dodgers. And they're carrying on. I mean, you might as well just give them a beer and toss them all over their faces and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's how rowdy they were over here. Uh, us. A fight broke out in the bleachers across the way. One of our guys stood up. I mean, there were several hundred Bible college students. One of our guys stood up and started leading us and singing victory in Jesus. The whole stadium at Dodger Stadium started singing along. Some people came to us after they said, I haven't sung that song since I was a kid. There was a huge contrast that night. Anyways, let's move on. Last one is to create a clear and dis, uh, a clear distinction of Christian manhood and womanhood. I know it's one that, that comes up a lot. Can I tell you a lot of our a lot of the old timey preachers that would talk about women in skirts and they would talk about a lot of these things. I think they saw a direction our culture was going. We may complain about that. We may say, "Oh, they were being legalistic about it." And I think a lot of people took it to a legalistic point which we want to be very careful to balance this thing out. But let's fast forward to today. 
we can't even define what a woman is in the highest court of our land. There is no definition anymore. I would say there was some foresight that they had. I would say I would say they saw some things coming down the, uh, the, the that that we did not anticipate. And so we may complain and say, "Well, you know, that's 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 crazy." I would say this. Well, is there an issue? Is there an issue? The devil loves to blur the lines, whether it be trying to get men to dress like women or to dress more feminine or to get women to, to, to dress indistinguishable as a woman. Is that a guy? Is that a girl? Or just masculine clothing or those kinds of things. Um, then, then we can get into the, the weeds of some of this stuff. I will say this, that, uh, uh, that passage in Deuteronomy about abomination of putting on that which pertains to a, to a woman and, and, and a woman not wearing that which pertains to a man and so forth. Um, in those days, they wore robes, okay? That does not... That verse, by itself, by the way, we ignore all the verses around it, uh, but that verse does not say, therefore, anyone, any woman who's not wearing a dress is a harlot. Okay, It doesn't say that. And yes, I've heard people take it to that extreme. But the principle, we see it through Scripture. We see the attire of a harlot. We see uh, on the one end, but we also see the distinction on the other end. That God made them in the beginning male and female. By the way, I heard of a a lady in Parliament. Did I tell you uh, about that story about the lady in Parliament being, being um, uh, I'm trying to remember what country she was from. She is uh, being tried for crimes against humanity for, for posting Romans 1, 25-27 on, uh, on Twitter or something. Crimes against humanity. Other people are talking about hate speech for holding up a sign, God made them male and female, like gay pride parades. Okay, all I'm saying is, uh, is we have a problem that we're in today, and, and we go all the way back to scriptures. He did make the male and female. There are some distinguishing things, and can I tell you this? Men and women are different. We should say amen today. We've got to make sure that our voice is loud with that one. Men and women are different. God made them different, and not better or worse than one another. Different. And you, 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 know, you, you, you have to be married you know, five seconds before you realize men and women are different. They think different. They respond different. And that's okay. Distinguishing. Um, these same principles, you know, they apply, of course, to hairstyles and makeup and manners and any kind of outward conduct. Some people might say, well, that's just not me. I have to be me. Can I encourage us to get rid of this self-centered approach to things? We can be unique, we can be individuals, we can be those things and follow God's principles. But let's make sure, first and foremost, we're surrendered to God in all things. Hey, I've got things I like. I've got things that I'm drawn to and you know, things I like more than others. But isn't the whole process of the Christian life and becoming more like Christ about denying self? Getting to this place where I'm less and less, uh, uh, you know, I'm putting off the flesh, I'm putting off these things for the glory of God, for the impact that I might have in others, in others' lives. Um, my wife and I went to, uh, we took our kids uh, when we were in D.C. to uh, Arlington National Cemetery. There's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it's interesting the things that this guy has to go through. By the way, soldiers, uh, uh, Derek, do you ever feel like it's unfair? Uh, I want to dress the way I want to dress. I got to be me. 
I'm an individual. There's no individuals in the military. You're all supposed to be the same. <laughs> These guards that guard the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, they're required to memorize 16 pages of information about Arlington Cemetery. They're required to know the locations and names of 300 graves. They're required to shave twice daily. Uh, guards cut their hair every two days on their day off. Guards are required to pass a 100-question test, a uniform test, and a guard change sequence test. The badge awarded after passing the test can be revoked if guards ever dishonor their oath. Guards may be, to be, may be between 5 foot 10 and 6 foot 4 in height. Guard, uh, guards' waist size cannot exceed 30 inches. Guards may commit two years of their lives to guarding the tomb. During their service, guards must live in barracks under the tomb. Guards cannot drink alcohol on or off duty of the, uh, uh, for the rest of their lives. Guards may make a vow not to swear in public for the rest of their lives. During his first six months, a guard cannot speak to anyone or watch TV. Um, Off-duty uh, time is spent studying the 175 notable people laid to rest in Arlington. Uh, guards take five to six hours to prepare their uniform. Uh, a guard's uniform must be completely free of wrinkles, folds, or lint. A guard's uniform is, uh, is solid wool and is, uh, is worn year-round regardless of temperature. Guards are on duty uh, regardless of weather conditions, including hurricanes. Uh, there, is a, um, there is a meticulous 21-step ritual, a 21-second pause uh, that is carefully repeated. There, are detail, uh, there is a detailed changing of the guard procedure uh, that is followed precisely. The procedures are followed whether spectators are viewing or not. You know, it's amazing how particular the army is in appearance and distinction for the tomb guard. What a stark contrast to the spirit of the modern-day Christians in the Lord's army and what we want to allow and to have our liberties and those kinds of things. Should we not be willing to walk worthy as they walk worthy for their calling? Are, are we not, should we not be willing to walk worthy of our calling for our living Savior? May God help us recognize uh, the need, the importance that man, yes, looks on the outward appearance. And God wants us to have an impact with our fellow man. 2 Timothy 2.4 No man that war has entangled himself with the affairs of this life, with the fashions of this life, with the things of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. First Thessalonians 2.12, that you walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, I think you can be fashionable. I think you can uh, uh, have liberties in certain areas uh, in regards to that. But let's make sure our hearts are in such a place that we say, above all, God, my body is there to honor you. And so let's glorify God with our bodies. And uh, and I went a little long. That is a hot topic issue for sure. But I hope I, I gave us some things to think about. By the way, every one of those principles apply to all areas of our life. Let's apply it to this sensitive topic as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together tonight. And <clears throat> Lord, I pray.